Spring is back, and so is Church's seafood. With a flavorful fish sandwich or classic shrimp basket, each starting at just $3.99. It's a worn-out expression, but this is your basic sleepy little town. Folks still gather at Lois's restaurant for breakfast in the morning. There's still a lot of farmland and a lot of farmers who work it, and there is still anger and sorrow and disbelief at what happened here on May 14th of 1973. That was 1983, and you may have recognized that voice. That's Ernie Johnson Jr. as he worked for one of the other of the TV stations in Atlanta, went down to Donaldsonville to report on the anniversary, the 10th anniversary, of the all-day murders. To very briefly recap, six family members murdered uh, May 14, 1973. A mobile home, the scene of five of those murders, I believe. Uh, farmers, the first one comes back to the mobile home for whatever reason, is accosted and killed. And others, in turn, go back to check on the first, and then the second and the third, and each of them, in turn, are killed. Escape convicts from Maryland completely randomly find themselves in Seminole County and completely randomly this family is killed, setting the stage for a legal drama that would continue for decades and Sunday marking the 50th anniversary of those grim murders, one of the darkest moments in the history of the state. And writing about, and quite well, I read the piece over the weekend, the early county news, newspaper in Blakely, uh, just up the road from Seminole and Donaldsonville, Seminole County and Donaldsonville, Brad Hughes, who joins us now. Brad Hughes, thanks for your time this morning. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. A little younger than me, I remember when this happened. I was a kid, uh, 1973. I would have just turned 11 when this happened. So I have a vivid memory of this. And for a time, lived in Seminole County. And I knew some all days. And, and anybody down there would know all days. Uh, you're, you're born after all this happened. But, but like a lot of folks, you grew up hearing about it and still hear about it to this day. Yeah, my whole life I've heard of the story of the All Days, and I've known All Days. We competed against them in the neighboring schools and everything. A great family, a huge family. The the two older gentlemen that were killed were two of nine children, and Ned, the father that was killed, he was had nine children himself, and so it's a huge family, well-known. My grandmother spoke of it all the time. One thing I could not verify when researching for the article was exact the exact path that they took getting into Seminole County. But my grandmother would always talk about it randomly and briefly, and she would say it could have been us because they drove down the Cedar Springs Road out of Blakely through Early County into Seminole County. And it's just one of those things where people realize the randomness of this act of evil but also realize that it could have been anybody that was in their path because these horrible human beings were determined to do damage when they came down to this part of the state. That's something I've said about that over the years. Uh, pretty much everybody down there, and again, we're talking 1973 here, pretty much everybody would have had some sense of what was going on here and what sense of what these people and who these people were, because we were those people small farmers out in the country and and that's that's kind of what all of us were and so we all could relate to this family and to this tragedy for the purposes of our conversation let's break this up into kind of two parts and we'll spend a couple of minutes here three or four minutes talking about what actually happened then we'll we'll move into the legal part of this which is equally fascinating the way this all unfolded in courts uh but so step us through brad hughes and again you've written about this for the early county news it begins when these folks carl isaacs and that crowd uh get out of that prison was it in maryland i think that's right. Interesting story because they 
that Carl Isaacs, none of them were in prison for anything that would have been, that would have made anybody think they were even capable of this. But Carl Isaacs and Wayne Coleman and George Dungy, all three of those were in prison together in Maryland. The story is that they just snuck out a window. I know that it has to be slightly more complicated, but in, you know, 50 years ago, it may not have been a whole lot more complicated than that. But they got out the window, they found a car, and one of you know, in digging through this, what brought me to write the article is that I would do research on this after having heard about it all my life. And every time I would read a news article, I would notice that there were inconsistencies. Obviously, never intentional. It's a complicated, long story of decades, as you said. And so as you read through the different accounts, I wanted to make sure that we had everything as factual as possible for future people looking back at this. One of the first things I found out that I had never heard is that when those three men escaped from prison, they were not deemed to be armed or dangerous. And so therefore, no authorities were alerted to the fact that they were out of prison. So they're making their way into Pennsylvania, where they take a young man's life, 19-year-old man who catches them stealing a car. They kill him and leave him in the woods, and then they head south. And really, nobody really knew to be looking for people the way that we would. And certainly the world was different. The Internet didn't exist. But television and people put things out very well back then across the country. So had they known, that may have been different. But as you mentioned, they've, uh, they make their way through Early County, Seminole County. They go into Florida and then turn around and come back to Seminole County. And they find this place, all of us, as you know, I was not born then, but even once I was born, everybody in rural Georgia, especially in our area of the state, had gas tanks in their yards. Mm -hmm. We had one under the big oak tree outside mom's carport. And you'd fill up your gas for the farm or for anybody there that needed it. And they were looking for that. They found it. Ned all day and Jerry all day, a father and son, show up at at, at Jerry's trailer. Every day at the end of the day, they would do what all of our families did, gather together, talk about what they do the next day. So Ned and Jerry show up. They're murdered. Jimmy, who is Ned's son, Jerry's brother, shows up a little later on a tractor. He is murdered. And then two other brothers, a brother and an uncle, show up later. And um, and Jerry's wife shows up, and then she's later taken away and murdered. So heinous story, very difficult for everybody here, but one I think people need to remember. And Mary Alday, we should say, and again, this is graphic stuff, and maybe folks hearing about this for the first time, again, it happened 50 years ago. Uh, She was pregnant at the time. Uh, She was taken away, and evidently, in fact, we know this, Carl Isaacs bragged about it, uh, she was sexually assaulted before she was shot and killed, adding to the horror of this story. Uh, It immediately, I I say immediately, how was this, and this may be a detail I've never known, how was this discovered? Or do you know? How was it discovered that That, she was killed? No, that that these six people were killed. How was the the whole crime? Who who wandered up and discovered what had happened here? Ned's wife, who, her Miss Ernestine, that everybody in this area knew, she lost her husband, three of her sons, her daughter-in-law, and her brother-in-law that day. And when they didn't come home, when Mr. Ned didn't come home, she sent a neighbor to look and then sent their brother, Bud, all day over to look. And they, it's very interesting because th- this tells you the, the kind of people they were. 
Bud said, and this is, you can watch this on YouTube and his testimony in the, the retrials and one of them in Atlanta, he said he opened the door and he saw feet hanging off a bed from a bedroom and he saw a beer can on the counter and he closed the door and said to call the sheriff and the neighbor with him said, what's, why, why we need to call the sheriff, close the door. Like what, what alerted you? And he said, not a, no member of my family drinks alcohol. We will so stop here for the briefest of breaks, Brad. Stop now for the briefest of breaks, Brad. He's come back and pick up the manhunt, how we got these folks in custody, and, and then go through as best we can in the time left. Uh, go through the legalities of all this, because that's quite a fascinating part of the story, too. Brad Hughes, Early County News. More after this. Classics in today, WGAU. We was asked the other afternoon over the phone about what would we pray for these men or these suspects to be exact, and I asked the lady, or I told the lady that I had already been praying for them. And she said, will you pray for them tonight? And I said, I sure will. And we asked God to have mercy upon them because they had mothers and fathers that also loved them. Uh, some of the folks who went to church with the Aldays, the Alday family down in Seminole County, uh, murdered 50 years ago Sunday, six of them. Uh, we're discussing this with Brad Hughes. Brad Hughes, Early County News, has written quite a piece on this, uh, the latest edition of the Early County News uh, paper down there in Blakely. Uh, all right, we, we wrapped up the previous segment discussing the horrific murders. Uh, and now a manhunt. you got to find the folks who did this. Uh, step us through that briefly. Well, pretty quickly, once it was announced that they had been killed, I think the people in Maryland put together that this was a probability at least a possibility, and they they had actually wreaked some carnage up through Alabama, heading back north, and they were caught in West Virginia. And I failed to mention earlier that the three who escaped actually picked up Billy Isaacs, Carl Isaacs, 15-year-old brother, before mm-hmm. they left coming south. So he was there, and before this, not involved in any criminal activity, but he ends up squarely in the middle of all of it. It's reported that he did not do any of the killing, but... He became, and I just turned state's evidence, helped them out a lot in figuring this out. And so he ended up with a much more lenient sentence. But there's always, this is part of the issue of the justice confusion and the frustration in this part of the world is that he didn't get convicted of murder, but there were, the, the ballistics evidence showed that four guns were used to kill the six people. So they assumed that it would have been a gun he had. So they're found in West Virginia, and then they are flown back to Atlanta and kept in four separate prisons and then brought back down to southwest Georgia to begin the process of awaiting trial in Seminole County. And that trial, talk about it, because ultimately there's going to be two trials, uh, verdicts that were tossed out in the mid-80s. But initially the first trial, and, and, and I need you to correct my memory maybe here, but I happen to know uh, the prosecutor, Peter Zach Gear, and some folks may know that name, went on to be lieutenant governor of Georgia for a time, Peter Zach Gear, uh, and did some work for our family uh, over the years as a lawyer, Peter Zach Gear. But my memory, and it may be a little foggy on this point, one of the reasons we had to get a new trial was because in the initial trial, was it his grandfather, his uncle, who served as the trial judge? That is correct. Yeah, I mean, most all the gears have stayed in in the legal field all the way down. From I believe his great grandfather started as a judge in the area, and it was not particularly difficult, as I recall, in that initial trial anyway, to secure convictions here. As and of course, all the attention in the world is on this particular case, but but they were convicted rather straight away, or not? You tell me. Yeah, they were. They were convicted quickly and easily. 
there was a, not a whole lot of debate and discussion. I believe all the evidence was clear. There was no confusion. But the, there's a there there are a number of anecdotal things that I didn't include in the article because I don't have proof of them. But things that we just been passed down as oral tradition in our part of the state. And one is that the prayer that was led before jury selection was what you and I would consider to be a very appropriate prayer, but what judges and attorneys considered to be somewhat inflammatory. Mm -hmm. And then it just, it sort of from then on praying for justice in this case out loud in front of the jury pool. And then moving forward, we're, we're small towns all around here, as you well know, being from this area of the state. And it, it was not, there was not, it was not possible for anybody to live within hundreds of miles of this corner of Georgia and not know almost every salacious detail of the terrible things that happened to this family. So it was, they were found guilty immediately. And then, gosh, just that in 85. So, you know, they've been 10 years there, over 10 years, they are locked away. And then the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals overturns the convictions and the sentences, so they have to go back to trial. Yeah, uh, Billy Isaacs, as you mentioned earlier, the youngest, uh, the brother of Carl Isaacs, brother, half-brother, is the case, and brother, I think, was was uh, cooperated, was very young, 14, 15, got a 20-year sentence for armed robbery. The others, Isaacs, Coleman, Dungey, all of them convicted, and all of them getting death sentences. But then, yeah, I remember this, and I remember this almost as vividly as the murders. 1985, it was as if somebody had dropped a bomb over the state of Georgia when uh-huh. that 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, as you pointed out, Brad Hughes, in Atlanta came down with, with its decision. You got to toss all this out and start over. It was an amazing moment in Georgia. It was, and it, it has led to a total mistrust, regardless of the legal issues, the realities, and probably the necessity of handling it the way the judge did from a legal, the judges did from a legal perspective. It just eroded and devastated people's ability to trust the justice system in this part of the state. Because even though this, I mean, you, you would consider this, some would call it a technicality, although I'm sure any attorney would say that it's necessary. Obviously, we would agree. But this, this just, it, it turned this into a decades long fight where you had people who were now over 10, 15, 15 years. It was 88 when they were convicted again. Fifteen years later, people are having to go back and recount all of the realities of evidence and the things that this family went through, and it was just a a horrific situation for everybody involved. Brad Hughes, Early County News. Fast forward, 2003, uh, uh, Carl Isaacs. Uh, becomes the only person to be executed. Uh, the murders in 1973, 30 years later, Carl Isaacs is put to death at state prison in Jackson. Uh, step us through quickly the others. What What's the fate of some of these others? So Billy Isaacs gets out after 20 years, and he died in the Florida Panhandle in 2009. He was 51. Um, George Dungey, he died of a heart attack while still in prison in Reedsville in 2006. Carl's executed, still remaining, I believe, today, the longest anyone ever spent on death row before being executed. And Wayne Coleman, who is the half-brother of Billy Isaacs and Carl Isaacs, is still living at Georgia taxpayer expenses in Wilcox State Prison. And he is nearly 80 years old. 
still continues to come up for parole, and thankfully it still continues to be denied. Uh, to the extent that you know, and I, I may be asking you things you don't know, although you have done pretty extensive research here, how did he escape the death penalty the second time around? Well, the reality was these they went into trials in different venues, and they were pulling from jury pools that I, I feel confident people would see a lot of these things differently. And so Wayne Coleman's trial was in DeKalb County, I would say that the people in this area believe it was related to that. Now, there may be some legal issue that is specific to why he didn't get the death penalty, but a lot of people in this area believe it was just it had to do with where the trial was and the jury pool that that handed down the conviction. Uh, Bring it to today, and again, 50 years later, I I have difficulty believing it's been that long, but obviously it has been. in some respects, and it, honestly, to be fair, it's been a minute since I've been in Seminole County. I was in Bainbridge not that long ago. I, I'm guessing there are some things that if I were to drive through there today, hey, that doesn't look like it did. On the other hand, I'd probably see a lot that does look very familiar to me. The pace of change in that part of the state's rather slow compared to maybe some other places. Uh, a lot of people still around who remember this. Uh, anything noteworthy about, I don't know, memorials or anything else that's happening to commemorate the 50th anniversary of this? Yeah, I'd say one of the most chilling things is just their grave site at Spring Creek Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. Long black granite, or uh, it's just this massive piece of stone that says "All Day Family" and all of those graves in a row. 2017, they put up a monument where the trailer was, where the murders took place, on what is now called the Ned All Day Old River Road in Seminole County. And these are places to visit. It seems a bit morbid to say that, that we commemorate an anniversary or that we visit a place, but everybody needs to understand the reality of evil, and everybody needs to understand the reality of the importance of the justice system in handling evil. God handed that down to us. We have it because of biblical principles, and then we have all the legal precedents set there. And so I think I think those, those are the two biggest places. Chester Alday's widow still survives. She remarried and lives in North Florida, not too far away. And, of course, siblings of all of these people are everywhere in the area. I don't know how many places or newspapers or news stations in this area have, quote-unquote, commemorated this 50th anniversary. A lot of people want to forget it and move past it, but I just think it's important, as I did in my personal column in the newspaper this week, to remember the actual people who died. We hear so much about the ones who committed the crime, but they were real people. They were fantastic people, well-respected, God-fearing, God-honoring people. Read about this. uh, Earlycountynews.com is the website. Brad Hughes, thanks for your time and insight this morning. My pleasure. Thank you, Tim. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.